All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody today. Um, I hope you had a good week, and I certainly did. Um, to get started, I just wanted to um, say uh, a quick uh, hello and an honoring, if we could, to some of our bishops in the uh, church worldwide, the Magpente family coming in from the Philippines, okay? Some of our bishops, that's right. <laughs> and they were here celebrating uh, Jack Jack's birthday. They got Jack Jack's birthday. Natalia had a birthday this past week. Come on, give it up. Okay. And very, very exciting. We had a new, is it okay to say Okay, a new, a new engagement, Adam and Martina. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> My goodness, the love. So it's good to be in the house of God together. We worship God for these things too. And so with that in mind, um, my name is Roland. If I don't know you yet, I'm the lead pastor here, and it's good to celebrate God with you. Um, I'll go ahead and get started because um, we have part two of our volunteer affairs, uh, Pastor Cole said today, after the service, and I want to jump right into the word. Um, but if you've not been with us, what we've been doing is we've been going through a new series called In It, Not Of It. In it, not of it. And to do so, we've been uh, talking through or um, actually going through the book of Daniel, which is an Old Testament narrative of how uh, Daniel the prophet actually ministered to the Israelites when they were in the midst of Babylon, when they were in the midst of their exile. Uh, They were in a period of being disciplined uh, for their disobedience to God, but God was faithful and true. And even in the midst of his discipline was continually giving them promises, giving them promises of the Messiah, the Savior, who would ultimately come, and um, the rising and falling of kingdoms, and really giving them instruction as they're in the place of waiting, how they should be in the world, but not of it. It was a theme that Jesus Christ continually spoke of uh, in his earthly ministry, and today we're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 3, talking about one of the famous ones that you might be familiar with if you ever went to a Sunday school class. If you ever went to a Sunday school class. And I know I didn't grow up in church, but I did um, often when I spent the night at my friend's house, end up in Sunday school classes. And when I was at these Sunday school classes, I learned stories about different heroes of the faith. And um, some of them were people like Esther or Daniel or uh, um, Abraham and Sarah, but some of them were their friends. And in this case, it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so today we're going to talk about their story and how they learned to be in the world and not of it. And if you're titling today's message. Today's message is actually going to be called Even If. Even if. Even if in our desire to serve God, we're going to trust him in all things. If you're taking notes today, even if is broken up into these three parts, you'll feel, feel this progression. Number one, our tension is three T's. Number two, God's total allegiance required. And then number three, Christ's trustworthiness. Christ's trustworthiness in the midst of our total allegiance to God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your good news to us. God, we thank you that you continually give us this message of grace, that you not only have died for our sins, but you've showed us how to be in this world, but not of it. And as we do, we have a great hope, not only for this life, but the life to come. Father, of life and life abundantly now, an eternal life in the days ahead. God, we're asking you that you would help us live that way and really cling to the principles of your kingdom as 
as we choose to say, even if, even if the others are doing things around us that don't please you, we're going to stand for you. Even if, God, we have, there's a cost to pay for the ways that we cling to you, God will stand with you. God, even if we have to believe your word in the midst of all circumstances and obstacles that speak against it, God, we say we are with you and Jesus is our king. So we love you and ask you to help us today through your word. Amen. All right, so today, let's jump right into the Word of God. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read this long passage, and then we'll jump in very briefly to the tension that we have, and then God's effort to bring us into a total allegiance to him. It said, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits, which basically means in our modern standards, it was about nine basketball goals high and one basketball in goal in width. Okay. If you can imagine that, that was the size of this image. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, um, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They're like, listen, I want my life. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men to the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn to pipe all these instruments and kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up, even if, even if I'm not going down, even if I know there's a king who lives, even if I know there's a king who's eternal, even if I know there's a God who rules and reigns over all creation and all things, even if. What's our tension? What we see is this is a great picture of our life in the present world. It's not just Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon back in the day. This is the life that we live in our present culture. It is a culture that is set up as a kingdom. And whenever we're talking about kingdoms, we're talking about value systems. Whenever we're talking about kingdoms, we're talking about ways of doing things and rules and order and the ways that people value not only human life, but also the, th- the way that human life should be played out on the great scheme or in the great pantheon of actually human existence. What we see is that in God, there is a way that God said to live that is different than the kingdom of this world. When Nebuchadnezzar was actually setting up his kingdom, we have to understand historically that he was part of a pluralistic society, much like we are part of a pluralistic society. There was a kingdom in Babylon that encompassed many different regions, many different conquered territories, and all of them came under the rulership of Nebuchadnezzar at the time that Babylon was the capital city, that Babylon was in charge of things. And in the midst of that, there were all types of peoples from different different backgrounds, different ideologies, different religious structures, and they all had different ways of serving their gods. And in the midst of King Nebuchadnezzar's rule, he said, listen, it's fine that you serve all of your different gods the way you want to pluralistically, right? But ultimately I'm going to set a one that's above them all. And it's going to be this image that I rise up, that raise up this golden image that whenever you hear the sound of music playing, whenever you hear the trumpet sounding, Whenever you hear the rallying cry of the values of my kingdom, you're to bow down and worship the image that I've set above all others. You're to worship this image that I've set above all others. And it's just like our Western culture, is it not? We're a melting pot of all types of ideologies. We're a melting pot of all types of gods and past rituals and all types of things that people value as their priority in life or the ways that they've chosen to live life. And even in our Western culture, a pluralistic society, it basically says, hey, listen, there are many ways to God, right? There are many ways to God and there are many different ways to serve God. God or lead a good life in the culture in which you find yourself. But there are certain things, and we all know what the hot bit buttons are in our present culture, right? It's always in the news. It's always on the social media links. It's always in the conversations that we have around the water cooler in the workplace. There, there are certain hot topics that when those things are talked about, it doesn't matter where you come from, you need to bow down and worship whenever you hear these things spoken about right? Anybody know about I'm talking about? Whenever you hear these hot button issues, you need to bow down and worship at the altar of the image that this culture is creating for you. 
Now, this is our tension because what ultimately Nebuchadnezzar was doing by calling all the leaders, the prefects, the satraps, the magistrates to come and worship at this temple is he was saying, hey, listen, I am reaffirming your allegiance to me, the king. I'm reaffirming by your worship of this golden image, your allegiance to me ultimately above any other background or any other value system that you brought in with you. Ultimately, it needs to be laid down at my feet. And whenever he was saying this, he was saying, listen, the tension that you feel from your past or your cultural background ultimately needs to submit to me. We know that in Jesus, he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. But Jesus is ultimately being challenged here. The God of heaven and earth is being challenged here. He's saying, though your king, your God is the one who rules over heaven and earth, I'm telling you that when I set up my image, you need to bow before it. And how many people have ever felt that tension before? in the culture in which we live. You can have your personal, private beliefs, but when it comes to the culture in which you find yourself, you need to bow to the dominant values that mark our culture, not to the God you serve. Anybody felt that before? This is what Nebuchadnezzar is setting up here. He's saying, who do you ultimately serve as king? Who do you ultimately pay your allegiance to? Is it to me, the king of kings and lord of lords, as Jesus would say? Or is it to this earthly king who is going to come up in a moment and then pass away as all other kingdoms do? Ultimately, that's our tension. It's a tension that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced whenever they were in the midst of service to the king in the midst of Babylon. It's the same that we experience today. The question is though, why weren't they okay with bowing to the image? Why weren't they okay with bowing to the image? Ultimately, what's the big deal? Ultimately, what's the big deal? Can't we all just get along is the question. And what they said is, no, it's not okay to bow to every cultural norm. It's not okay to bow to every value system that's presented to me, that I'm surrounded by, the priorities that are set in front of me, that exalt themselves above the God of heaven. Ultimately, they had a background which was found in the word of God. Deuteronomy 6, whenever Jesus was even preaching in his earthly ministry, he made mention of it. They asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And they said this. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, which would have been the Hebrew boys that he was speaking to here. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Only one God, monotheism, right? Not a pluralistic multiplicity of gods, but there's only one God, only one way to him, the Son, Jesus Christ. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So when they're hearing, we need to bow to the value systems of another God. We need to bow to the priorities of another king. We need to bow to the ways of operation that someone else is offering us. And it should be able to be syncretistic and okay. They knew in their heart of hearts that God had already made a distinction. He said, you can't serve both me and mammon. You can't serve two masters. You're either going to be devoted to one and love the other, or you're going to hate the one and be, um, this, um, and be, um, get, be give your allegiance to another. He said, serve me and serve me alone. God's total allegiance is what's required both back then and today in the midst of these tensions. Ultimately, what does that mean? That Jesus, his cross and resurrection, the gospel of God's grace, and the kingdom of God must be your ride or die. 
How many people have their own ride or die as a friend? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, a ride or die is like, okay, your ride or die are about like your people. You know what I mean? It's sort of like the people you go to, you can count on. You know what I mean? doesn't matter what situation or what you find yourself in. Those are your people. Okay, it's sort of like, yo, that's my ride or die. Okay, ride or die, new vocabulary for us today. Okay, so Jesus ultimately, yeah, Jesus ultimately needs to be our ride or die in this scenario. These, though, these allegiances will constantly be tested throughout your life time. How do we know this? We know it because Jesus in his earthly ministry, he started off with that temptation to actually mix or to bow to the culture around him. What was the first thing after being anointed by the Holy Spirit that Jesus had to do? He had to go into a desert place and actually find himself confronting the value systems, confronting the temptations that we all experience in the world that ultimately Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to experience in that place too. You know, we're not going to look at it in depth right now, but if you go back to Luke chapter four, you see that Jesus full of the Holy spirit returned to the, from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. He was fasting. And over the course of that time, it says that the devil tempted at him three distinct ways, right? Jesus, after fasting, number one, he was hungry. And the Bible said that the, the, Satan came and said, Hey, listen, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread, right? So he ultimately attacks Jesus' source of provision. Did you not think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're understanding that they, if they're not going to bow to the value system, they're not going to bow to the God that Nebuchadnezzar is putting in front of them, that ultimately it would be a threat to their provision. It would ultimately be a threat to their provision. He said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then Satan tempted at him again. And he took him up to a high place and he was able to see in a moment all of the kingdoms of the world. And the Satan basically said to Jesus, all of these kingdoms and their authority has been given to me has been given to me. That's what King Nebuchadnezzar was ultimately saying and boasting about during his time. I'm the king. I'm the ruler over everything that happens. And if you want to progress, if you want to be promoted in this company, if you want to be promoted in this culture or in this society, you better live by our values. You better assume that which we value as your own. And he says, if you bow down and worship me, I can give it all to you. If you ascribe to the same value systems that I do, if you trade in the ones that you held dear, the ones that God Almighty commanded you for my own, then I'll give you that which you ultimately want. Power, prestige, influence. Aren't those the things that get mixed into the Christian message today? Isn't the the syncretism that gets mixed in today? Oh, baby, live your best life now. Live your best life now. Live it and live it large. But what happens is that we end up doing the same things as the world around us, displeasing the one who actually brought us to the dance. And what Jesus said is, here, listen, let me tell you something. The Bible says, God's word says, his eternal word says, I'm going to worship him and serve him only. I have an allegiance of one. I have an allegiance one, and then the, basically the, the scripture says that he ended off saying, get out of here, Satan. Get out of here, Satan, because he 
ultimately tempted God's protection and his ability to intervene for his life. Why don't you throw yourself off this mountain? If God's so bad, you know, if he's so big and in charge, why don't you throw yourself off and won't the angels come and grab you, <laughs> snatch you up? And he said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. So he's ultimately saying, don't be stupid. <laughs> okay. At the same time, you're trusting God. Don't be stupid. Okay. And walk in wisdom, prudence, love, humility, right? And in the grace of God. And it said something very specific about him that after he resisted Satan in this way, that the devil left him, but he didn't leave him forever. He left him until an opportune time. He left him until an opportune time. So Jesus had ultimately won that battle. And you have to excuse me in this moment. I'm a father of four. And right now my kids are getting into 1980s G.I. Joe cartoons. And what I see, what I see is that it's over and over again reminding me that knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. That's right. Jesus ultimately said, you might have won this battle, but I know Satan's coming again. That this test that I was able to overcome in, in this moment, in terms of values, my priorities, the systems by which I live, it's a victory that I've won in this moment, but ultimately it's going to come again. The test is going to come again. When I'm given more prestige, when I'm given more opportunity, when I'm given more authority, when I'm given more influence in the world around me, right? It's sort of like it's easy to begin to obey God when you don't have much, right? Anybody remember when you didn't have much influence in the world or you didn't have much money to share or spend? And then it was easy when somebody's talking about giving to actually give sacrificially because that was every penny you had. But then all of a sudden you start actually getting a zero behind your check and then all of a sudden say, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, God. (laughs) That's a bit much. And God's like, oh, I know. I'm the one who gave it to you. Now honor me with it, right? Or he says, hey, now, now you have this platform of influence. And it's like, yes, I know, God, but now I've got to preserve it and protect it. And if anybody's going to come along and challenge the value systems that I'm living by, God, I, you know, I know you brought me to the dance, but I'm, you know, you know, maybe you can stay in the corner a little bit while I actually choose to, you know, be a proper and respectable, you know, office official or, you know, a person in the system that I find myself in. I can't actually take a stand for things that actually reflect you whenever there's a culture around me speaking otherwise. Anybody ever felt that tension before? Okay, that's fine. You don't have to raise your hand. I know you're there. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we're tempted, we've got to actually ultimately know that it's not only attention that comes once, it's attention that comes throughout our lifetime. Not only does God expect our total allegiance when we get saved, right? Whenever we say that sinner's prayer. Anybody remember saying the sinner's prayer? Giving your life to Jesus, but then you have to walk with him. You've got to walk with him all your days. And when there are challenges coming against the way that God's told you to live and the ways that the world is pulling you to itself, then you've got to have your total allegiance marked in him. There are two men that have quotes that I'd like to share with you that I think summarize that allegiance in a good fashion. First is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually said it this way. He said, who stands fast? Who stands fast? Only the man or woman, I'll add, whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, or his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all this when he is called to obedient and responsible action in faith and in exclusive allegiance to God. The responsible man who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and call of God. 
Where are these responsible people? Meaning that every decision that they make is in the context of the person and the call of God on their lives. And so if anything contradicts that, then the first thing to go is the thing that opposes God, not God himself. That's what allegiance actually means. That means when I made a covenant with my wife and I'm out of town on a business trip, what that means is my allegiance, though separated by distance, remains to her no matter what else is offered to me. Okay, can everybody say amen to that? It's the same with Almighty God, right? It is the same with Almighty God. He says it like this. Another man who actually was Oz Guinness, he actually had a book called The Call. Anybody ever read that book before? Oz Guinness, The Call, that's fine. It's a good book. I commend it to you. He said, calling resists. And this is good in our highly fractured, polarized, and politicized world. He said, calling resists privatization by insisting on the totality of faith. Calling resists politicization by demanding attention with every human allegiance and association. Calling resists polarization by requiring an attitude toward and action in society that is inevitably transforming because it is constantly engaged. Grand Christian movements will rise and fall. Grand campaigns will be mounted and grand coalitions assembled. But altogether, such coordinated efforts will never match the influence of untold numbers of followers of Christ living out their callings faithfully because of the vastness and complexity of modern society. He's basically saying that, listen, all the things that I could prop up as wisdom, all the things that I could prop up as values or modern understanding or enlightenment that I could set before God. And I, so many Christians try to adopt these as values, right? I'm an enlightened person now. And so the old ways just don't work in today's culture. God's saying, if you try to adopt these in a syncretistic mentality, then ultimately you'll separate yourself from the head. And if you instead would submit yourself to the person and calling of Christ, it doesn't matter what's presented to you, what scenario, what value system, what philosophy, they all bow to the person and wisdom of Christ. And this is what he says, that everything, everything is spiritual warfare. Everything. And he says our, the weapons of our warfare in today's times are not carnal, 2 Corinthians 10, but they have divine power for demolishing strongholds. What is a stronghold? It's that which keeps people walled up and separated and within. And he says that it has divine power for demolishing strongholds. And we take captive as Christians every thought to make it obedient to Christ. To make it obedient to Christ. That means we need to be thinking Christians. We don't need to be just driven along by the value systems of society. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't driven along by that golden image out of a sense of self-preservation or self-aggrandizement. I'm going to get ahead if I just fit into the flow. If I just fit into the system. Nebuchadnezzar will exalt me. They were trusting in the one who could ultimately exalt them far above anything that Nebuchadnezzar could do. The one who, in fact, put Nebuchadnezzar in place. God said this through Jesus in Luke chapter 16. He says, 
You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in God's sight. What is exalted among men is an abomination in God's sight. Anybody read that recently? Well, that's why we're at church. That's fine. Okay? He says there is a contestation with the value systems. And ultimately, a kingdom is an administration, a value system with assumptions and goals reflected in the order in which we choose to get things done. You understand what I'm saying there? That's what a kingdom is. It's a, it's a value system. It's an order. So like, for instance, whenever a company goes through a reorg, right? Anybody been a part of a company with a reorg before? What usually happens? You get rid of the old leadership, and then some other leadership comes in, and you do things in a different way. It's a different priority system, right? Different order of how things are going to get done, when they're going to get done. And the order of priority shows you what's most important and the things that ultimately can be thrown out. But God's saying that my kingdom is this type of system. That's why I said the kingdom of God is not just observed with your external observation, but the kingdom of God is within you. You've got to learn to allow him to rule and reprioritize the value systems in your own heart. And he says, cling to that which I'm doing. The kingdom that we serve is demonstrated in that which we prioritize. Very practical. That's a temptation for me, especially nowadays, right? Because when I wake up through natural light, sometimes the first thing that I do is grab this and start scrolling. Anybody else? Or I turn on CNBC. I just say, all right, what's happening in the world around me? Not grounding myself in that which God has already done, who Jesus ultimately is, his death, burial, resurrection, that which will remain forever. And that which will, I'm headed towards at a breakneck speed, whether I realize it or not. That which we prioritize is that kingdom which we serve. I just threw out a bunch of practical examples of how it can help the modern man. How do we actually make sure that we're not bowing to the value systems of the world around us, but instead prioritizing God and his kingdom and his ways? Here are some examples. When things get busy, put God first. That's right. Anybody busy in here? That's right. We all are. We all are. The people he was speaking to in the scripture, they were busy. And he said, put God first. When you have need, sow your seed and seek the kingdom first. When exams or project deadlines come, get the mind of the Lord first. When kids have sports practices and games, teach them to find themselves in the house of worship first. Have friends and family members who never show up at a house of worship. Why? Because they're investing so much in their kids' hobbies that they've made their kids' hobby an idol. When you want to have brunch, dine at the table of the Lord first, Chicago. When you have adventures that you want to pursue, find the eternal pleasures in the midst of the presence of the Lord first. Honor Jesus and serve God first. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's his promise. 
He says, delight yourself in me and I'll give you that which actually satisfies you. Honor me first is what he says. This is true religion as the world calls it or otherwise as we embrace it, true worship. And if we're not worshiping him, we're definitely worshiping something else because we're creatures of worship. The question is, where are you worshiping? Are you worshiping at the feet of the golden image? Are you worshiping at the feet of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Well, when we choose to worship at the feet of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we actually see Christ's trustworthiness. We don't just feel the tension. We don't just know that he demands total total commitment to him in the midst of these value systems. But what we see is that each time the Israelites took a stand for the Lord, God showed up. Isn't that good news? Every time they took a stand for the Lord, God showed up. Jesus was trustworthy. God was honored and the Hebrews were ultimately promoted. You see that over and over again. Daniel chapter one, they didn't defile themselves at the king's table. What happened? They were found 10 times better and they were actually spoken of as being 10 times better than all the other people of wisdom, the magistrates, the judges in the area. Daniel chapter two, nobody else could interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, but Daniel who actually went to God, used his gift and was able to interpret the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar was having. Then Daniel also was promoted in that place. Here we see Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you would have thought Nebuchadnezzar would have learned his lesson by now, but no, he was once again testing the God of heaven and earth. And in the place of that testing, God showed up again. Let's find us reading this part. Daniel chapter three, verses 19 through 30. It said, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Why? Because they said, we will not bow to this image. God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. And that's a word of faith that people just need to stand on. Listen, let me tell you something. That's the type of prayers we need to pray. I know God's promises. I know God's deliverance. I know God is able to heal. And even if he doesn't, I'm going to go down swinging. Because I know that he's either going to do it now or in the life to come. That's the good news of the gospel, right? Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the healing either comes now or in the life to come. The deliverance either comes now or when Jesus ultimately makes his return. And so one way or another, the Christian wins. Why? Because Jesus has won. And this is what he says. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happened? They had favor before. And Lord knows when we've got an ounce of favor, we want to hold on to it. Do we not? It's sort of like we cling to it for dear life. And all of a sudden, the favor that we have in our workplace, in our family, our neighborhoods, our society becomes our God. You're my source. You're my comfort. You're my peace. I can never let you go. You're my precious. <laughs> His attitude was changed against them. I thought I could trust you. I thought you were enlightened. I thought you were on the fast track to promotion and success. I thought I was preparing you to lead in this place. And you won't bow down to this image that ultimately is going to be for the good of the entire kingdom, bringing unity. Woo-hoo. Come on now. Bringing unity amongst our people. Aren't these the hot topics that are coming up? It's ultimately for the sake of unity that I'm creating one image that everyone's to bow down to. And you're still here causing division. I'm incensed against that idea. I'm incensed against this type of living. 
He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Let's go down. It said, Then King Nebuchadnezzar, as he was watching this at a distance, was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, he answered and said, But I see four men unbound. I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods which was an ancient term for one who was divine, a divine one, a divine source. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fire furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, by how quickly the tune changes when God shows up in the midst of their defiance. When God shows up in the midst of their allegiance in the proper place, when God shows up in the midst of them taking a stand, being in the world, but not of it, God shows up and says, I am with you, right? Isn't that what Jesus promised was? He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I, is what Jesus says, will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, I will be with you. I will be with you when you're in the fiery furnace. I will be with you when the heat's turned up and the persecution comes, Christian. Stop living your life just as a means to avoid persecution. He actually says anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Why? Because you can only cling to one. And he says, guys, you okay in there? Come on out. Let me see what's going on here. Why are you still able to stand? And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Their hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire was upon them. A miracle. The question is, do we believe for such miracles today? Whatever position you find yourself in today, I would assume that in this kingdom, they probably had a higher one. Remember, it was a whole kingdom. It wasn't just a company. It wasn't just a school. It wasn't just a neighborhood. They had more probably to lose than you did, including their lives. They clung to the right source, had the right allegiance, and he came through. In what way? Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. Why? Because he's trustworthy. He says, stand with me, and I'm the great deliverer. Stand with me, and I'm the great savior. Stand with me, and I'll actually meet you in your place of need. 
in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your friendship structure. Who trusted him and set aside the king's command. They wouldn't bow to my value system is what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. And yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. (laughs) I love it. Therefore, once again, I've been enlightened and I make a decree. (laughs) Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. And they're like, you mean the same guys you just threw in the fire? Yes! If you speak anything against their God, you'll be torn limb from limb. How fickle. And their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king once again promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He said, listen, I'm just looking for some people who believe their God well enough that I'm going to tell everybody else not to speak against them because they're willing to stand for him. They're willing to stand for him. Therefore, I'm able to see his deliverance of them. And therefore, I'm going to command that everybody else honor him as they do. That's what God wants to do this time. God's able to deliver just as he was back then. Today, if we choose not to bow. Final point is this, is that even as it's personal, it's not just personal, it's also about what he was doing in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Does everybody see that? It was also about what he was doing in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. A lot of times we just think about our own personal deliverance. Is God able to rescue me? If I don't live according to the value system of the world around me, is God able to rescue me? Yes, he is, is the answer. It's all well and good. It's all shown over and over again. But he's also doing something in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. What do we see? What do we see? He's ultimately bringing Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king, to himself through the testimony of these Hebrews who took a stand over and over and over again. There was also a progression of the king's acknowledgement of God. Something we'll talk about at a later time, but it's called the Engel scale. If you're thinking about evangelism, you're thinking about the progress it takes to see your family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors actually make a decision for Jesus. Anybody ever been discouraged before because they preached to somebody and immediately that person didn't say, Oh, glory be to the God of heaven and earth. Thank you for the gospel. Where have you been all my life? And we're like, oh gosh, I guess that didn't work. Well, here's the truth of the matter. Even in this instance, we see that it was a process. Even evangelism was a process. I'm going to tell you, people had to preach to me who did not grow up in church over the course of many years before I showed up in a place like this. Over a course of many years. And I heard it again and I made a step forward. But then it was like that old Paul Abdul song, right? To this one, I take two steps back. We come together because opposites it. Right, okay. So it's sort of like I took four steps forward, then I took steps back. Steps forward, and then steps back, right? Same with Nebuchadnezzar. Is that not what happened? He took some steps forward. Oh, wait a minute. They didn't defile themselves, Daniel chapter 1, with my food. I'm taking a step forward. But then I go right back into my pagan living. And then I'm getting tormented, Daniel chapter 2, by all of these dreams. 
And I look to not the Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are ten times better in my kingdom, but I look to the other pagan wisdom council, right, to try to interpret my dreams. They can't. And so finally, bring me Daniel. And Daniel finally comes and interprets these dreams. Okay, I take a step forward again. Nebuchadnezzar says, only your God's able to interpret. Only your God's able. And then he goes right back into building a golden image. You see that? Steps forward, steps back. Steps forward, steps back. Builds this golden image. And then he's so incensed that they won't worship that image that he throws those who do into a fiery furnace. There's no backslidden about it. He was never there. He wasn't backslidden. He never submitted. But he was getting closer. And so all of a sudden, when that other fourth person shows up in the midst of the furnace, all of a sudden he's able to say, now let me say something to you. Not only are you have, do you serve a God who's able to save, but I'm telling anybody else, if you ever speak a word against him, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. You see that? Pro- I mean, not the best reaction, but it's progress, right? It's progress. It's progress. And then what we'll see in Daniel chapter 4 is that finally, we'll do address this next time, Daniel chapter 4, what happens is that he begins to call him to repentance. He begins to call that king who God was showing himself to over and over again to repentance. And it's the same type of Opportunities will open up with us. So, to summarize, there's a tension that we'll continually feel. It's between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of our God. It won't be something that you experience once. It's a value system that's continually at tension in your own soul, in your own workplace, in your own environment, the way you spend your time, your value systems, the things you approve of and give yourself to over and over again. You might overcome once, but then an enemy leaves until an opportune time comes to test again. But there is a king who demands total allegiance. And he says, I'm worthy of it because of my sinless life, my death on that cross, my burial and resurrection from the dead. And as you trust me, I'll show you that I'm in fact trustworthy. And though the heat might be turned up on you, I'm showing you that I'll be there with you. And as I'm with you, I'll deliver you. And even if I don't in this life, I'm telling you there's a life to come. And any sacrifice you make now is worth the glories that you'll ultimately receive in him, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go back into worship.